A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. As a plant based cheese company, Dea has never talked about beef in an ad before because someone somewhere once had a beef with saying beef and plant based together. So putting a slice of Dea cheese on a beef burger, not okay. Well, our delicious melty cheese has a beef with your beef about beef. Because any step towards plant-forward eating is a step in the right direction. Daya, 100% plant-based, even if you're not. Now made with Daya Oat Cream Blend. Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Robert the Third. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the kings and queens of Scots, from Kenneth McAlpin to James VI. Yes. Now, you were saying to me just uh, before we started that you're hoping for uh, better things from the Robert uh, clan, because we had a good one with yeah. Robert the Bruce... And not quite so amazing one with Robert II. It's no. really going to be all on this chap to decide whether... Well, I think I said that unless he's any good, Robert's are dead to me. Yeah. Um, so quite a lot riding on this one. Now, there might be a certain amount of confusion about who we're actually reviewing today. Robert the Bruce's great-grandson? That is correct. Yes! You may have forgotten why you should be confused. Oh, no, that's so meta. <laughs> so let me remind you with a little bit of backgroundy stuff. Okay. Last time we did Robert II. Yeah. He was the first Stuart royal, first Stuart monarch, mm. grandson of Robert the Bruce. So, yes, great-grandson is correct. All right. Um, he came to the throne at 55, secured the sort of dynastic dominance for the Stuart family. So he gave his various sons earldoms, yeah. married off his daughters to important people, set up the dynasty very well. Now, he'd got very powerful sons because he's effectively delegating all of his authority to them. Mm. And in particular, we've got the eldest son, John, who was made the Earl of Carrick and is dominant in the south. Yeah. The second son, Robert, who's made the Earl of Fife and is dominant in the centre of the country. Oh, yes. And yeah, then yeah. Alexander, who was um, given the lordship of Buchan. And he's a naughty boy up there. He was the wolf, as yeah. he's known in the north. Um, so this is how he kind of keeps things on side. He delegates his authority, and that works okay for the first ten years, but in the second decade of his rule, it all falls apart yeah. a bit for Robert II. In particular, we have his first son, John, the Earl of Carrick. He's very dominant in the South. He uses his influence to reduce Robert II to basically a figurehead. He more or less overthrows mm. him in 1384 and mm. becomes a lieutenant of the country. But after losing some of his allies and suffering quite a serious injury in 1388... He himself is overthrown and replaced by his brother, Robert, the Earl of Fife. Middling. The second son. Yeah. So when Robert II dies in 1390, Robert, the Earl of Fife, is the one who's in charge of the country. Yes. But John, the Earl of Carrick, is technically the eldest son and therefore heir. Okay, so we have a tension there. We have a tension there. And we are reviewing Robert III. So he's the middle one? Well, let's find out. <laughs> Robert III is the uh, son of Robert II and Elizabeth Muir, 
and he's born on the 14th of August, 1337, at Schoon Palace. So he's nearly 53 when he becomes king in 1390. Pushing it. Similar to Robert II. He was born John. What? So this is actually the first son. It's not Robert Fife taking the uh, the kingdom for himself. It's the first son, John. But he receives parliamentary approval to change his regnal name from John to Robert. Because he wants to avoid the connotations of the English John. Yes. The Scottish John, Balliol. Yeah. And the French John, who was captured at Poitiers by Edward III. All bad Johns. All bad Johns. But... Mm. I, just, I really need to clarify this. Yes. The middle son... Robert. The one who was at the bottom... The Earl of Fife, who's in the middle of the country and is the middles. <laughs> middle in the middle. Yeah. Who deposed him during the reign of the, reign of the other Robert. Yeah. So they're all called Robert. Except for the one in the north who's called Alexander. Okay, how are we going to differentiate these Roberts? Well, Robert the Earl of Fife, who's the second son, we will refer to as Fife. Okay. John, who becomes Robert the Third, oh. we will call Robert the Third. Okay, okay. I'm just going to forget the John thing. Yeah. Okay. 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 And Alexander is still Alexander. Wolf the naughty boy. Wolf the naughty boy. Easy. But what does he look like? Oh, we've got to find out. Heritage find playing out cards. Heritage playing cards. Uh, artist depiction of him. Okay. The big reveal. Oh wait! Whoa! Whoa! whoa what are you whoa. expecting? Oh, of course. Uh... Don't really have a picture of this man because uh, so far we've got an incompetent chap, yeah, deemed incompetent by his brother, um, his older brother, yeah, younger it. brother, younger brother, got it. <laughs> uh, uh, so I think peaceful. I don't think we're going to have any weapons here. Okay, I think he's going to be overthrown by his more powerful, more aggressive brother. So probably a bit monastic looking. Mm. Uh, Bit of tartan for good measure, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So here we are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. Ah, oh, I don't know how many more times I'm going to be able to say this. So honestly, I wasn't expecting that. There is no way. I mean, how do how to describe this chap? Um. So, if you imagine, uh. A sort of conquistador with some armoured legs and gloves. Almost like a, a, a Saracen sword, but with an awfully flamboyant sleeve and a semi-Father Christmas hat on. You're some way to, to work yeah. out this chap. He is also the Joker, which bodes incredibly well. Yes. I mean, Wow. Wow. Now, it looks like the artist has gone slightly rogue with this one and thought, oh, who knows, I'll just do a stupid hat and yeah. make him look crazy. He did, like, working from the hat down, it just got more and more ridiculous. Now, this is not a contemporary image of Robert II, but it is historical. I'm just now showing Ali ah. the front of a biography of, well, Robert II and Robert III, which has ah. him depicted. I am so surprised. It's I thought that was, comp- as I say, we just drew a weird-shaped hat and carried on. That's completely... I mean, he's even facing the same way. So this is from a thing called the Seton Armorial, which has sort of depictions of quite a few of the kings and queens. So it's done later, so it's not contemporary, but it is an historical, as in it's not modern image. So the artist has, in fact, pretty much just copied Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, it's 
a pre-Renaissance drawing, so yeah. it's got to be quite close to the time. It yeah. probably would have been... They would have had an idea what they might have looked like better than <laughs> if he had just drawn a hat and worked <laughs> out. Oh, that is incredible. I can't wait to see people's reaction to that picture. <laughs> I honestly... I could I definitely thought that was made up. What a hat. Will he live up to it? Well, Walter Bauer's got a description of him. We'll see if this uh, mm. matches up. Perhaps him later in life. The said king was tall in stature, though lame. He had a very handsome face with a luxuriant beard. He had the attractiveness of a snowy white old age, with lively eyes which always spread good humour, and rather long and ruddy cheeks, blooming with every mark of handsome amiability. Oh, lovely. Well, that's, that's a really nice description. It's a very pleasant chap. Yeah. So, let's find out what is going on. It's all been a little bit confusing with his name changing, becoming the oh. Guardian, not being the Guardian, becoming the King, all yeah. sorts of stuff. Let's see how it all happens. Okay. So, in the reign of David II is when he first comes to prominence. So, this is the predecessor to Robert II. Rubbish one. Pretty rubbish. Uh, David II had resisted acknowledging Robert II as his heir, but he did seem to accept the future Robert III mm. as his likely future heir, because David was actually younger than Robert II. That's so right. He assumed yeah, yeah. that it would be this chap that we're doing this week who would have succeeded him. Yeah. So he granted him the earldom of Carrick, which had formerly been his own earldom, and indeed the earldom of Robert the Bruce. Right. And he married him to Annabella Drummond, who was the niece of his queen, Margaret. Oh, okay. So he was really getting into the Robert III camp, or the John camp, as it was. Mm. Um, as we said, under Robert II, when he becomes king, his father becomes king, and the future Robert III, Carrick, at that time, is recognised by law as the heir to the throne, mm-hmm. and he's given virtual control over southern Scotland. He becomes keeper of Edinburgh Castle, he allies with the key border families, particularly Earl Douglas, and he's the one that's kind of leading when there's any Anglo-Scottish diplomacy going on. Yeah, so is that the more important land than the one that's bordering the English, really? Because that's, that's like the front line of diplomacy and... Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. There's a bit of tension, however, quite early on with the second brother, Robert, the Earl yeah. of Fife. Um, now, Robert II enacted a succession in the male line, meaning that it would go to a brother before it would go to a daughter. Yes. Because he wants to ensure that there's a, a king oh. because of all the stuff they'd had before they want a with man the... to be ruling. Yeah, and the only one who has had a chance so far, death by sea or boat. It's Margaret, the maid of Norway. Um but that does throw up this whole splitting the family line further and further apart thing. Particularly because at this time, um, the future Robert III, Carrick at that time, doesn't have any sons. Mm. But Fife, the next brother, does have a son. Just early signs that mm. these two are kind of in competition. From early on, Fife is maybe thinking, I've got a shot at the big prize here. More significantly, there's widespread dissatisfaction with Robert II at this time. He doesn't take any action against the third son, Alexander, the wolf in the north, oh, who's yeah. got rather lawless regime. He's kind of mm. just extorting money from the locals and yeah. beating people up. Not a nice chap. Robert II's not doing anything about this. Meanwhile, in the south, the border families want to um, have raids into northern England. Mm-hmm. But Robert II doesn't sanction these because he wants to have yeah. peace. He's being a bit more cautious. But did, wasn't it the case that he sort of didn't sanction them but was sort of pushing them over the border? He was kind of turning a blind eye, but I right. think it was starting to get to a point where it was becoming more right. um, prominent and the truce was coming to an end. So it wasn't enough now just to be kind of 
yeah. you know, turning a blind eye. He had to really be on board. Yeah. So the border families are opposed to what Robert II is doing. And, of course, the border families are aligned with the man in the south, which is Carrick, future Robert III. Right. So in 1384, Robert II is basically removed from power. He's still king, but he's reduced to just a figurehead. So Carrick, future Robert III, is appointed lieutenant of the kingdom. Mm. So in other words, he's basically regent. Okay. And he can do what he wants. Yeah. So he's taken power. 1385, um, he links up with the French, has a little raid into northern England. Oh, yeah. It didn't go very well. He was kind of also elected on a law and order ticket, so he was meant to deal with the third brother, the wolf in the north. (laughs) Actually, didn't really do very much at all. Actually made him justicia of the north. (laughs) So... All the people that had backed him because they were looking forward to the war, they were looking forward to dealing... Looking forward to the war? The war. Oh, the war. We're going to build a wall! <laughs> Better cut that. Um, they're not quite so happy. No. In 1388, the Scots enjoy a victory against the English at Otterburn um, in a battle against Harry Hotspur of the Northumberland Percy. I'm dynasty. surprised that's not more famous. Harry Hotspur is a bit of a ledge. Yeah, he's not killed in the battle, though, and more significantly for the Scots, James Douglas, the second earl... Douglas is killed, and uh, another chap, Sir James Lindsay of Crawford, is later captured. And both of these are big allies of Carrick, future right. Robert III. Okay. So he's lost two of his key supporters. And what's more, in that year, he suffers a really bad kick from a horse. I mean, I suppose any kick from a horse is <laughs> going to be quite bad, but seems to have left him lame, if not largely an invalid. Oh, what? Like paralysed? Well, he, he, he doesn't seem to be paralysed, but he certainly seems to wither a little. He's no longer the strong, ambitious man that stole the throne in 1384. He's physically weak, ill health. He doesn't seem to be able to lead his men in war anymore, mm. which was kind of his whole thing yeah. in the South. Yeah. So the next year, 1389, brother number two, Fife, secures his ally as the new Earl Douglas, a mm. chap called Archibald. Oh. Who was Archibald. Do, have, have we met him? Uh, there may have been another. The, the Douglases are either called Archibald or James, okay. confusingly. Right. So oh, Archibald God. Douglas, the, uh, right. the third Earl Douglas, who's the illegitimate son of that legendary one with all the, the cows and burning his yeah. own castle and <laughs> stuff. Brilliant. And uh, he wins the backing of other nobles, disillusioned with the way that the Carrick regime has gone. And sure enough, 1389, he replaces him as Lieutenant of the Kingdom. But this is all before Robert II actually dies. It is. So, in 1390, when Robert II dies, it's a little bit awkward. This is less than six months after the change in power. Fife is running the Kingdom. He's just declared his brother incapable of governing. (sighs) But he's now technically king. Oh, hashtag orcs. Imagine Mm. that meeting. So there's no coronation until four months after Robert II's death. Mm. So it seems like there's a lot of negotiating going on. Fife and his allies probably manoeuvring to ensure their positions. And sure enough, Robert III, as he becomes, Mm. does get to be king, but Fife is going to stay as lieutenant of the kingdom. Carrick does get to stay to be king. Yeah. And he's Robert III. Yeah. But Fife is lieutenant. So he's effectively in charge. So Robert III... Mm has just replaced Robert II as some sort of figurehead. Yes. Okay, back in the mix. So, that's not so great for Robert III. No. And it's also not that great for Alexander, the wolf in the north. Yeah, what's he been up to? Just Oh, you know, just doing his bad stuff. He was hoping that this would get Fife kicked out, because Fife had pledged to deal with him, and indeed he had taken some immediate action. 
and uh, removed him as justicia. Right, okay. So uh, whilst all this delay's going on, the wolf decides to uh, have a bit of a show of force, burns down Elgin and its cathedral. He is just a complete rebel, this man. He's not, <laughs> what's he thinking of? He really is. So um, Fife installs his son, Murdoch Stuart, mm. uh, as justicia in the north and convinces uh, the wolf's estranged wife, the Countess of Ross, to divorce him. I'm not surprised they're estranged. Imagine being married to that man. Also, he's got several children by another woman that he's yeah. living with. Yeah. Uh, so this deprives him of his earldom of Ross, so he's kind of reduced the wolf a little bit. Oh, right, by divorcing her... He doesn't have access to her land. Well, she divorces him and removes yeah. access to the land, okay. yeah. So in August of 1390, Robert III finally gets to be crowned. Okay. It's not a perfect uh, coronation, because apparently some of the rural inhabitants around uh, Schoon objected to all the damage done by the land, uh, done to the lands by the crowds. So uh, Robert had to pay them some compensation. Mm. Um, uh, weren't they part of the crowd, though, those people? <laughs> well, no, I, th- I assume it was just p- people traipsing across their land to get mm. to... Scoon. Oh, okay. And they're like, oi, yeah. you're done. Planted veggies here. Yeah. Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> so, at this stage, Robert III's reign doesn't look like it's going to amount to an awful lot. No. But he's got hope. Mm. In 1378, he does produce a son, David. So in 1390, David is 12 years old, not far off yeah. manhood. Yeah, yeah. And inevitably, as he gets older and will take a role at court, that is going to sideline Fife. I can totally see Fife doing Richard here. Hmm. Hmm. Now, Robert III doesn't seem to be entirely up to the job of um, doing all the realpolitik here, so it's actually left to his wife, Annabella Drummond, to uh, do the, uh, the dirty work here. She promotes David, arranges marriages for their daughters. So in 1392, David receives a large annuity from the Royal Customs Revenue, so his household becomes financially independent. Mm. So Fife can't just withdraw it all as royal funds. It's now Good specifically planning. in the household. His first two chamberlains are kinsmen of Annabella, and the household is dominated by their allies of the old sort of Douglas affinity. Who are allied to Robert, Robert III. III. So, yeah, okay. trying to get a certain mm. basis around David. 1393, this starts to pay off. Uh, the General Council ends Fife's lieutenancy. He's removed. He'd be livid. And, in, and well, Robert III is restored to full government, but with the idea that David is there supporting him. Okay, so, so it's sort of like a, an apprenticeship for, for David. Yeah. Uh, can I do a prediction? Okay. Hang on. Yeah. Fife Mm. is going to... I said hang on (laughs) because earlier I was getting so confused Graham wrote me out a little list of who was who. I had to refer back to it. Fife Mm. is going to team up with Naughty Boy of the North, the wolf. Ah. Carry on. Yep. So, 1397, things get a little bit better. David becomes a member of the King's Council. Mm-hmm. 1398, Annabella organises a grand tournament to celebrate David being knighted. How old's he here? 13? Uh, 20 now. Oh, right. So, okay, he's survived at that. I didn't think he'd make it that oh, far. Oh, no, he's probably he's made it yeah. to adult. He's a man. He's a, he's a warrior. He's a knight. Mm. Then that same year, Annabella calls a council where David is created as Scotland's first ever duke. Oh, I sort of presumably had those. No, no, I hadn't had a duke in Scotland before. He becomes the Duke of Rothsay. Right. Now, alongside him, Fife also becomes a duke. Uh, you've got to throw the dog a bone, haven't you? Yeah, so you're going to need to update your list. Okay. Fife yeah. now becomes the Duke of Albany. 
Um, apparently the titles are invoking uh, the Gaelic origins of the dynasty because they're having a bit of trouble at this point with the Lord of the Isles. So the, the Western Isles, he's being a bit rebellious. So right. they're sort of using these Gaelic titles to try and remind uh, okay. people that yeah. might be tempted to go to the other side that actually we're pretty Gaelic ourselves. <laughs> So, David is 20, very powerful, he's a duke, he's active in government, he's done a lot of Anglo-Scottish diplomacy as well, he's going to be leading the Scottish army with his uncle Albany against the Lord of the Isles. Yeah. It's going to plan. I can't see this going wrong now. Unfortunately, Robert III still isn't really impressing people as king. Oh. Um, David and Albany are in charge of this army that's going to deal with the Lord of the Isles, but Robert himself actually gets back into the action and he besieges Dumbarton Castle. Oh, right. But he's sort of, he's very weak and injured still at this point. He is. Now, it's not clear whether this is a permanent thing where he's getting worse and worse or if it's he's not really able to charge into battle and he's maybe ill, but maybe sometimes he feels a bit better. Mm. Or maybe he just kind of gets on his horse or his wheelbarrow and <laughs> shouts at people to do things every now and again. Oh, right, OK. I got, but, I mean... I, um, I'm sort of this is an argument after the horse has bolted, but does it really matter <laughs> if people have... Um, have less faith in Robert III because it's all about David III. Hopefully, you'd think that. Yeah. Um, nevertheless, people are losing faith in mm. Robert III because he is still king now, normally, yeah. because the mm. Albany isn't in charge anymore. The siege of Dumbarton Castle doesn't actually achieve anything and he has to give up after three months. Oh. Um, there's also widespread disaffection at the fact that whenever he does try to govern, it's very fleeting, basically. He's often not doing anything, and when he does do something, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> so people have kind of lost faith. There are also some tensions between Robert III and his son, David. Oh, dear. That was the last thing they needed. Uh, in 1396, David was planning to marry the daughter of George Dunbar, who's the Earl of March, a very powerful figure in southern Scotland. Yeah. But... For some reason, Robert intervenes and prevents it taking place, or at least delays it taking place. That's weird, isn't it? We're not quite sure why, whether he was concerned about some kind of illegality or something like this, or maybe Dunbar had upset him in some way. But anyway, Mm. he intervenes, and it seems to be that Davey's not very happy about this and is still intending to marry her later. Because he really fancied this girl. Well, maybe. Or did she bring lots of land? Well, yes, she certainly would have done that. Okay. And... He's very ambitious, he's very independent, he's got all this wealth and power. That sounded good when he was the man that was going to secure the throne for Robert III, but now you've set up this incredibly powerful rival, the rising sun, versus the setting sun. George III, George IV job. At Falkland Place, which is a manor owned by uh, the Duke of Albany in November of 1398, um, 1398, Albany arranges a meeting of all the major men of the kingdom to decide what to do about Robert III. So we've got Archibald, the Earl of Douglas, mm-hmm. Murdoch Stuart, his son, the bishops of St Andrews and Aberdeen, and David. Okay. Uncle I and nephew do a deal to get rid of Robert III. I didn't see that coming. I thought it was going to be the wolf. Is the wolfie there? No. Okay. I don't know, I'm fascinated by him. What's he up to? Interesting. Where is he? So, in 1399, uh, January 1399, to the General Council in Perth, Robert III is once again demoted on account of his inability to govern the kingdom, and David is appointed lieutenant in his place. Surprisingly gracious from uh, from five, Duke of Albany. Well, so the terms and conditions... Ah. It's a three-year term, this lieutenancy, mm-hmm. and he is effectively he's got the power of king, but he does have to govern with the advice of 21 named men, 
which does of course include Albany and Douglas. As the most powerful of those yeah. chaps, yeah. Nevertheless, they are working together, and mm. Robert III has been well and truly sidelined mm. again. Mm. It's not an easy lieutenancy for David, though. He enrages, enrages, he enrages George Dunbar, the Earl of March, by not marrying his daughter, but instead marrying the daughter of Archibald, the Earl of Douglas. So, after all that stink with his father... <laughs> yes. Right, OK. Now, you can see politically why this makes sense, because he's just effectively got this triumvirate with him, Albany and Douglas. Yeah. So, marries the daughter of Douglas, that links it all together quite nicely, and Douglas mm. is a much more powerful lord than... Than Bar... Than March. March. <laughs> bar... However, March takes it really rather badly, yeah. and he storms off to England. Right. Now, who have we got on the throne there? Well, as you see from the card, we have Richard II, oh, right. who's not up to much, really. No. But in 1399, he is overthrown by his cousin, Henry Bolingbroke. And I'll just change the old card there. Oh, dear, yeah. Who becomes Henry IV, mm. formerly the Duke of Lancaster. He, um, in his younger days, was a very well-respected knight, went on a crusade. He's got a bit more about him than Richard yeah. II. Now, Henry initially would have been quite happy for peace with Scotland. He's just become king. It's a bit controversial. Yeah. He kind of wants to just secure everything, bolt down the hatches, yeah. steady she goes. Yeah. But the Scots are irritating him. <laughs> Uh, they keep referring to him still as the Duke of Lancaster, correspondent, <laughs> and uh, they use the uncertainty of his accession by raiding northern England, oh. and there's also a chap who claims to be Richard II that comes to Scotland, so the Scots are quite happily promoting him and pretending that Richard II is still alive. Why fact. are they playing this game? Well, I think they maybe underestimate what Henry IV is going to do about it, because they think he's got so much else to deal with securing his position in England as mm. a usurper, and he's got problems in Wales with the England Dower. Mm. So they don't think he's really actually going to bother dealing with Scotland. So they're just sort of... Okay, but th- so when we say Scotland, we're talking about that triumvir- a triumvirate. Yeah, yeah. okay. Mm. Well, I mean, they are now the ones in power, of course. Mm. Um, unfortunately, they've underestimated him a bit. Because of the Earl of March, and they probably didn't know that March was pledging to come and serve with Henry IV at this point, right. so they didn't realise that this chap that's got all this land in southern Scotland on the border yeah. is about to become busy mates with Henry IV <laughs> at the point at which they're doing their best to irritate Henry IV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he comes into Henry IV's service and basically opens up land almost up to Edinburgh. As, as open to the English. As open to the English, yeah. Right. Henry comes north and invades with a force of about fifteen to 20,000 soldiers. And this is... He invades... What's his, what's his premise? His, his, he his demands sister. homage from them in the Edward I style. Because uh. they've been irritating so much, he wants them to settle down and bow down to him. So he demands their homage. They don't give it. He invades. Okay. Heads up all the way to Edinburgh and besieges it without facing any real opposition. Um, but nobody actually wants to fight him. No. So he's forced to go home. Oh. I That's... thought nobody. I thought that would mean that he could just run in and have a free-for-all. No, he, wants, he just wants to get his homage, really, and get a bit of a PR victory. But it doesn't happen, so he heads home. But it's not great for David's reputation as a war leader. Yeah, that Edinburgh can be sieged. Yeah. In 1401, David's mother, Annabella, dies. Okay. Now she's been very influential behind the scenes, as we saw in terms of setting him up, right? During his teenage years, she's also thought to have been something of a restraint upon him, 
because he's got a bit of a reputation of being a little bit headstrong, a bit of a wild character. Yeah, certainly, from his dealing so far. So when she dies, it removes quite a big restraint on what he's doing. Right. And sure enough, it does appear that after she dies, he rather decides to be a bit more aggressive in asserting his independence. We also see the death of Archibald Douglas, who was his father-in-law and had been quite key in terms of linking him and Albany together, Mm. that triumvirate. Mm. Douglas has died, his mother's died. Oh, okay, so it's now we're going to have a fight between Albany and him. But David, he's 23 years old, and Robert III's been an invalid this whole time. He must be, surely, you'd think, on the verge of becoming actual king. Yeah. So he decides he's going to act like king. He exploits his rights to the full, goes on a tour of the east coast of Scotland, basically just forcefully taking the customs money from the various boroughs. He's uh, just like his uncle. Hmm. Hmm. Um, he exploits the death of the Bishop of St Andrews by uh, taking their Episcopal lands and revenues by force and keeps the sea vacant. God, it's not going to go well. So he's now a bit of a playboy, a bit of a a bit of a warrior on the loose. Mm. But the reality is, Albany is also getting older. Mm. David must be near king, and David is making Albany basically irrelevant Yeah. at this point. He's just doing what he wants. And once he becomes king, yeah, that's absolutely it for Albany. And you were asking earlier about whether uh, Albany would link up with the wolf in the north. Yes, here he comes. It right. seems that actually it's David that makes the link with the wolf in the north. Surprising. Because Robert III had previously been fairly lenient towards the wolf. That's who I was thinking of, not Albany. He's mm. like his other uncle. Yeah. Yeah. So he's looking perhaps to undermine Albany in the centre of Scotland if, you know, the wolf can kind of push down mm. a bit. David does his thing. Mm. So there's definitely moves afoot okay. to yep. deal with Albany. Mm. In 1402... Um, David is on the way to go and uh, accept the surrender of St Andrew's Episcopal Castle, which he demanded. <laughs> Another one. But when he gets there, he's arrested by two of Albany's adherents. Can they do that? Well, it's on the grounds that his three-year lieutenancy is now technically up. So they're kind of escorting him somewhere. But essentially, he's been arrested. Wow. So, But he's, at this point, he's going around acting like king, because you've got yeah. an invalid king who's... Mm. Ever- that's bold. Very, very bold. Now, the new Earl of Douglas had been quite close to David, because, you know, they were brothers-in-law, mm. but he'd been annoyed at the fact that David hadn't given him any of the lands from the Earl of March after he'd headed off to England. Mm. So Albany basically makes him a deal. He gives him lots of all those lands. He gives him total freedom of action in the South if he'll come on board with Albany's plan. Yeah. David is removed as lieutenant and replaced by Albany. And then, very sadly, David dies whilst what? in Albany's Falkland Palace. Um, hang on. Where's my bell? Can I have a... Just now. I said it was going to be a Richard character, Richard III, but I wasn't expecting him to... Literally. <laughs> to sort of, uh... Well... Do it to an adult. Just do straight-up murder. Not that murdering two children is any different, (laughs) but I thought he'd done it when he was young, if that was his intention all along. Hang on, I'm I'm working on the assumption that this is murder, yeah? Well, they do have an inquiry, and uh, the inquiry found that he departed this life through the divine dispensation and not otherwise. Oh, that's that's all that wrapped up then. Did he have any children, David? No. Oh. 
Well, I suppose it's tidier. And in reality, it's almost certain that he was just starved to death. Ooh, nasty. Actually, probably similar to Richard II, and again, the same explanations given that, you know, it was dysentery or something, but in reality, he's locked up, just left to die. Yeah. Oh, that's horrid. Because usually they're in some kind of luxury, uh, Mm. prisoners, you know, of nobility. But, in this case, how can they leave David alive? Because if he becomes king and he's released... He's going to take vengeance on them. He's just he's got to. I feel like sometimes perhaps <laughs> got to s- settle. Like him yeah. being the second most powerful man in the country yeah. is fine, but no, clearly not for Albany. So Albany once again is in charge. Yeah, and it's a real power vacuum. So Queen Annabella is dead. Prince David is dead. Also, one of his allies that he was with, Sir Malcolm Drummond, was starved to death in a different castle. Oh, so. nice. But crucially, Robert III is still alive. He is still alive, but he's totally excluded from all political authority now. He basically just gets sent off to the West in the old Stuart lands. And he just, just lives out his life in a castle. Um, however, Albany does have a bit of a task on here, because he's now got to govern the whole kingdom with all these people having died, mm. which means that you've got all these vacancies and vacuums where there were, he had men before dealing with stuff. Now there's nobody. And you've still got the wolf. And you've still got the wolf. So, in 1402, he's got problems in the south with England. Uh, They suffer two pretty bad defeats. First of all, the Scots uh, launch a raiding party that gets routed by the Earl of March and uh, the English Earl of Northumberland at Nisbet Muir. So then Albany sends a larger army to retaliate, but it gets defeated by Harry Hotspur at Uh Hamilton Hill. And Albany's son, Murdoch, and Archibald, the Earl of Douglas, are both captured. Okay, so big ransoms or death? Well, they're too well. They're, oh, they're ransoms, but they're okay. kind of well. Actually, no, we'll, uh, we'll come to that actually. Mm. But of course, there is also the North. Now, the Wolf is actually getting a bit old at this point, as are they all. Mm. But the, by diminishing his power, he's actually stored up other problems because he used the Lord of the Isles to help him mm. diminish the Wolf in the North. But now, the Lord of the Isles has gone rogue and is trying to capture all of these vacant earldoms and doing a bit of invading. Okay. So now Albany's got to try and find a way of dealing with the Lord of the Isles up there. And with Naughty Boy the Wolf. But he's got the problem with the Naughty Boy and the Wolf. Now, the Wolf's son, also called Alexander, is now a man, and he claims the earldom of Ross by marrying the former Earl's widow. And lots of people in the North are really happy about that, because they're like, well, lots of people were you know, working for the Wolf previously. Mm. He's a powerful young chap, He's got a basis of support, and they think this is a guy that can help us deal with the chaps from the Isles. But Albany really doesn't want to give all this power to the... Because they're, they'd be related. That would be his nephew. His nephew, yeah. Okay. We've seen what he does with his nephews. Yeah. So he really doesn't want to compromise here. He wants to put his own allies into the Earldom of Ross, but there's a bit of an impasse. So he's got problems in the north, he's got problems in the south, and then something rather unexpected happens. He dies? No. But Robert III kind of re-emerges. No. He comes out from under the rock and thinks it's comeback time. Yeah. So while Albany's distracted up in the north, he comes back from the west and sets up court in Lothian. He encourages lots of stories of miracles associated with Prince David. Uh. Um, because basically these are based on the idea that he was cruelly murdered by Albany. Definitely. And he makes some allies. From 1404, he gets his own little triumvirate going. He's got Sir David Fleming, who leads negotiations for a truce with Henry IV. 
there's Henry Wardlaw, becomes the new Bishop of St Andrews and a regular witness to Robert's charters. And Henry Sinclair, who's technically the Earl of Orkney, but he actually spends all of his time in southern Scotland. So with Douglas imprisoned in England, mm. Sinclair becomes the dominant man in the south. Okay. So suddenly... He's back. Robert is back. And what's more, he does have another son. Wow. Prince James, who is now 10 years old. Still a bit young, but yeah. they yeah. can try the former policy again. Yeah. Um, I just... I, I'm struggling to uh, get the image of um, Robert, uh, Duke of Albany his face yeah. when he gets the news when he's trying to deal with all this he's, stuff he's what? he's uh, I'm going to say I think you said Robert the third uh, sorry would <laughs> <laughs> just can you imagine he'd be wheeled out in his wheelbarrow going <laughs> waving a sword a bit like probably a plastic sword in his case going I'm having another stab rubbish so Prince James 10 years old he's really the last chance for mm. Robert the third to uh, defeat Albany He's entrusted into the care of the Bishop of St Andrews, which is quite a smart move. Is it? Why? Well, because now a bishop's in charge. He can't, you know... Oh, we can't go around killing them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's given a huge regality in the Stuart land, so Renfrew, Butte, Arran, Napdale, Carrick, lots and lots of Stuart territory are given directly to him rather than being part of just the Crown's lands. So he's now got a very powerful uh, range of territories. And then, even worse for Albany he has to ask for Robert III's help. Because Robert III has got a good relationship with the wolf. Has they've he? Got an Im- yeah, they'd had a good relationship before, because he'd made him Justicia of the North. He had oh, yeah. tackled him yeah, when yeah, he was yeah. meant to. So Albany basically gets Robert to come up north and help negotiate to reach a settlement. And this man is still king. He is still technically so king. What's, so Robert, the, the, the Duke of Albany at this point... Mm. Is regent effectively? Yeah. He's the power. He's the mafia boss. Yeah. Robert III still got the crown, and sure enough, he comes up north, and uh, he actually forces Albany to compromise. So the wolf's son does become the Earl of Ross, um, but unless he has sons, it would then revert to the other side of uh, the yeah. family who were allied with Albany. But Albany does have to suffer the wolf's son becoming earl up there. Wolfson. Um. Yeah, it would have been a bit crazy for Robert, the, uh, unbelievably, mm. the king, Robert III, to give Duke of Albany like, whitewash, <laughs> to make not yeah. make him compromise. Mm. But I can't believe he actually does it. Well, it's the reality of the situation that actually Albany can't be everywhere all of the time, and the wolf's son is probably the best bet to actually deal with the problems in the north. It's the best for them both. But I can't, or, or that the Duke of Albany didn't just kill the king. Well, well, you I mean, just can't really do that these yeah. days. Yeah. Where's a hall with a match on anyone? Exactly. Unfortunately, however, that is where Robert's luck runs out. Yeah. Fleming becomes rather unpopular and angers the Douglas family in Scotland when he intervenes to to uh, scupper a potential agreement with England for the release of the Earl Archibald Douglas. Oh, yeah. In 1406, James is taken out of the care of the Bishop of St Andrews and put into the care of Sinclair and Fleming, and they take a force with James into East Lothian, which is heartlands for the Douglas family. Who are allied with the Albanese. Allied with Albany, upset with Fleming, because he didn't mm. get the Earl released. It's not quite clear what they are up to, possibly seeking to secure marriage alliances and using James as a symbol of royal power to sort of subdue any opposition. Rather backfires. Mm. They get attacked, and Fleming is killed. Oh, God. 
Sinclair takes James uh, to a small island of Bass Rock, uh, which is sort of in the outer of the sort of Firth of Forth, kind of mm. almost on the seafront. Now, the timing's a little bit unclear about this. Perhaps it seems likely that Robert III now suspects that he is finally actually dying. Yeah. And James is still young, and he probably dreads the idea of leaving James as the minor with Albany as the guardian. Yeah, yeah, understandably. So he decides to send James to France, supposedly for his education, in reality for his safety. Mm. Whether or not it was meant to take place in the way it did is doubtful. It would be much easier just to go directly from St Andrews rather than marching right into enemy territory and then heading off to Baz Rock. What, he set sail from the rock? Well, they go to the rock. I mean, say the rock, it's sort of it's a small island. It's not mm. literally just a rock. But they obviously didn't have a specific boat arranged because they have to wait there for a month in winter till eventually a, a, a Danzig ship that's headed for France pops along, so they he- get onto that. Mm. And then he's off on his way to go into exile in France. Why did they go through enemy territory? Well, that's where perhaps... So a lot of people have assumed that they just did this weird march. Um, Stephen Boardman, the biographer, thinks that perhaps there was a long-term plan for exile in France... Short term, they were just trying to enforce Robert's rule in enemy territory. And then when it all goes a bit belly up, mm. they think, right, let's just get James out of here. As fast as possible. Yeah. And take the risk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Unfortunately, James oh. doesn't make it to France. Death by boat? It isn't death by boat. He actually gets, uh, the ship gets boarded by English pirates off Flambra Coast, Norfolk. They realise oh. who he is. Yeah. And they take him to Henry the Fourth. Kill him? They don't kill him. Oh. Because he's the heir to the Scottish throne. Yeah, yeah. So once again, well, he's not actually yet king, but the heir to the Scottish throne is sent to the Tower of London and is in the control of the English. Right. Shortly after hearing this news, um, at Rothsay Castle in the Isle of Bute, Robert III, at the age of 66, finally dies on the 4th of April. Okay. So just... His son... Imprisoned by the English, and his brother still regent. Yes. What does that... What, uh, I just... going through, So for Robert's mindset on his deathbed, sadly, yeah. what does that mean to him that, uh, that his son is in the, in the English court? Well, he, he won't be in prison, will he? He's, he's in the English court, presumably. Well, I think initially he's in prison. Well, I mean, okay. we'll, we'll go into this, of mm. course, next time. But yeah, it's... I mean... I think if you're Robert III, you're not feeling great at that point. Because... Because this is his only son now. He's the only one he's got left. So the yeah. previous one got killed, and then his next one has been captured by the English. Because I was thinking that in some ways he could think that, well, at least he's safe. Like The English will use him as a bargaining chip mm. rather than if he's in Albany's hands yeah. and dead. But if you're the Duke of Albany, mm. how hard are you going to try to get James back? I suppose, yeah, but I suppose the English will use him as a... Well, we'll see. We'll next see. Time, but I, I imagine that the English would use him as uh, a tool to get mm. to install him as a puppet themselves. But if you're to put yourself in the position of Robert III at this time, Rubbish. you're facing yeah. death, you've sent your son to safety in France, and he's just been captured by the English. Yeah, it's not good. And then, cheerio. Mm. Mm. Indeed, he does actually give us uh, his own epitaph, oh. which he says to his wife years earlier. Bury me, therefore, I beg you, in a midden, and write for my epitaph. Here lies the worst of kings and the most wretched of men in the whole kingdom. 
Is th- was that actually his epitaph? Did he have that written on it? <laughs> he should have done. Oh. And uh, a midden, for anyone who doesn't know, is now associated as a sort of a, a refuse mm. uh, site. But at the time, basically a big pile of poo. Right. A dunghill. So, I mean, that could have some bearing on this scoring. Perhaps. Yeah. Let's find out. Battleliness! So, in his favour... Not easy. No. 1370s to most of the 80s, he's he's the dominant force in Scotland. Most powerful man, really. He's probably leading quite a few of the raids that are going on, Mm -hmm. though we don't have much detail. Um... He received a substantial donation from the French crown in 1385, so he's probably involved in that campaign when the French came over and they did a bit of raiding into northern England. The unsuccessful raiding. Unsuccessful raiding <laughs> that was met with a quite strong retaliation by the English. <laughs> yeah, right. On the downside, <laughs> from 1388 he seems to be pretty much physically unable to go into battle to any real extent. So apart from the old siege, there's no actual evidence of him really doing anything battling-wise at all. Yeah. Now, in his reign, battliness does happen. Uh. But it's not particularly good battliness. No. 1400, Henry IV invaded. Mm-hmm. So this is when he'd just taken the throne from Richard II. He wanted the truce, but the Scots push him into the point where he decides, OK, well, I'll just invade them. <laughs> um, and, of course, with the Earl of March, his daughter being spurned, that gave Henry a route into Scotland. Mm. And um, he also, apparently, Henry, made uh, connections with the Lord of the Isles, hoping for perhaps a two-front oh, right. assault so they okay. go north and south. Yeah. So it's definitely backfired That's on the Scots that. when they messed with him. Henry comes with about fifteen to 20,000 soldiers, makes very quick progress, doesn't face any opposition. Apparently he was stressing his own Scottish heritage, because he was actually descended from the Comyn family. Oh, right. If we remember back yeah. then. So he's saying, ah, oh, yes, I've, I've got a bit of common and uh, <coughs> royal blood in yeah. my veins. I don't want to disturb the peace too much. So he grants protection to castles and monasteries and villages. It's a PR exercise. Yeah. But he doesn't get his... Uh... No, so Robert Third just stays in Butte, mm. out of the way, doing nothing of any use whatsoever. As usual. David and the Earl of Douglas retreat to Edinburgh Castle. Where, which gets besieged. And Albany apparently does have quite a large force at his disposal, but decides not to use it. So there wasn't really any blood spilt in this? Not time. really. Um, apparently at Edinburgh, David did offer combat between 100 to 300 champions on either side to decide the issue of the homage. Right. I mean, that's a quite a good idea. Rather than just, Let's just take this down by a factor of 10. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's less blood. That's a good idea. Well, except that obviously from Henry IV's perspective, he's got about 20,000 men. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Henry just thinks, oh, forget it then, mm. and goes home. Um, but apparently that's the last time the English monarch uh, invaded Scotland in person. Uh, Rex fact. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. Not very impressive for Scotland, though. No. Now, in 1402, we have some more defeats. As I said, first of all was Nisbet Muir. Um, the Scots think, oh, we can afford to raid because Owen Glendow of Wales is mm. causing Henry IV's problems. Um, the Earl of March raises 200 men and actually fights against the Scots because he's yes. fully on the English yeah. side and routs them. So after this happens, Henry delays his plans to deal with Wales because he thinks the Scots might invade. So he starts granting all of the southern Scottish estates to the Percy family, hoping that they'll deal with it. Mm. So, Douglas and Murdoch lead a force of 10,000 for the Scots down to Newcastle in retaliation for their raiding force being routed. (laughs) 
Um, but March is on hand to help the Earl of Northumberland deal with this, and he convinces them to lie in wait for the Scots, and then they surprise them with just lots and lots of arrow fire. <laughs> that is surprising. Yeah. Oh, good Lord, what was that? Oh. Taken by surprise, Douglas delays the attack and eventually forms Skiltrums, but they just present a very easy target right. uh, for the archers. Um, a charge comes far too late to help, so the Scottish leaders, Murdoch and Douglas, are both defeated, as well as three earls, 80 senior knights, and vari- various French mercenaries. Yeah, that's hopeless. Now, the next year, in 1403, Harry Hotspur continues the offensive into Teviotdale to make good on all those estates he'd been granted by mm. Henry IV. So, really, the Scots are incredibly lucky, because Albany's in no position, really, to respond to this. They're not strong enough. But it's because of the Welsh Rebellion that Henry switches focus. Instead of dealing with Scotland, he wants to deal with Wales again. Yeah. Now, the Percy family want to ransom Douglas and... The, and Murdoch, they want to get their money from ransoming the prisoners, yeah. but Henry says, no, you can't ransom them, because then they'll just start raiding again, and I can't afford to have these raids going on while we're dealing with Wales. So, keep them for the time being. But the Percy family are quite annoyed about this, and there was already quite a lot of tensions going on, so the Percys throw their lot in with Owen Glendower. Oh, yes. And they fight against Henry the Fourth. so the Scots are spared the Percy mm. presence Mm. Uh, in Scotland, they head off down, fight the Battle of Shrewsbury, and uh, Harry Hotspur is killed, and uh, Henry the Fourth victorious. But so that's fortunate rather than skill. So yes, but it indicates quite how weak the Scottish yeah. position was. That without this mm. English stuff going on in fighting, they really could have lost were... a lot of southern territory. Yeah, exactly. Um, and one chap who really doesn't have a good year is the poor old uh, Archibald Douglas. <laughs> Because apparently when he's captured at the Battle of Homelden Hill, he was wounded five times, Ooh. despite having armour that took three years to construct. Oh, God. And he lost one of his eyes. Oh, did they just... Oh, how... I mean, harold was it? I, I don't know, but he's taken p- prisoner by the Percys, but apparently he then actually fights alongside them against Henry IV at the Battle of Shrewsbury. Okay. Presumably they're going to release him and give all his lands back. As a reward. Yeah, so he fights against Henry IV, kills a couple of knights, but then is captured again, <laughs> this time by the Henry IV, yeah. having lost one of his testicles. What? Put a bit of metal over those! So in the last year, he's fought two battles. In one of them he's lost an eye, and in the second one he's lost a testicle, and in both of them he's been taken prisoner. I mean, it's a jolly good thing he's symmetrical. He's got to... <laughs> well, I don't know if he's symmetrical anymore. Yeah. He lost the other ones. Yeah. But um, I can understand the eye. I, all, I mean, you've got to be able to see out of your armour. What's he doing with the testicles? Well, I, I imagine it probably wasn't self-inflicted. <laughs> unless he just really missed with that sweep. He just... Did he forget his codpiece? Maybe. There's no record of how he lost a testicle. No. They no. just say, and he's got one less. Yes. <laughs> oh, I wish historical records were more, <laughs> you know, thinking of the important stuff. I mean, they record the facts, but never the da- yeah. little bit more. It's like just only recording headlines and having all of the newspaper actual article gone. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, none of this really is particularly about Robert the Third, yeah. other than the fact that he's not doing anything useful and the Scots are getting invaded and defeated all the time. Yeah, that's what was difficult about this, is that uh, all the time I have to keep saying, and Robert III is still king. Yes. <laughs> it's very bad. It is very bad. Zero. I mean, there's there's 
a, you started with the raids that didn't go well, <laughs> but I sort of expect those to happen anyway, not by the king. Yeah, you know, I think that's much lower. And that was fry. before he became king as well, of course. Zero. I can't. Get it's got to be a zero. He he is unable to do anything at all, and the Scots have some pretty bad defeats in this period. Yeah. Scandal. You might not be expecting much. No. And indeed, I don't have very much okay. written down. Right. But this is what I do have. He does have at least two illegitimate sons. Mm, I'd sort of hope so. You sort of hope so, but, you know, if you remember too early in the series, we don't always have this. No. And actually, if you take away everything else that you've heard about Robert III, and if I just come to you and say he's got some illegitimate kids, you'd say, OK. Yeah, Good. True. Doing what I want him the to Scots do. The Scots have been bad at sex. <laughs> that sounds quite a blanket statement. The kings to date, you're right, have been less good on or that front the, of the scandal. The evidence of it yeah. has been uh, mm. bad. And he also, let's not forget, did overthrow his own father in 1384. Yeah, true. Which is quite easy to overlook given the fact that he gets overthrown you know, every couple of weeks yeah. and indeed by his own son. But actually... Can we remember somebody else doing this? A, a son overthrowing the father in the English series, in the Scottish series? Have we had this done? Well, no. Oh, we've got the threat of it a lot with Henry mm. the Third. Uh, second. Henry the Second. Uh, I mean, technically, he doesn't dethrone him as such. He's still his yeah, they're still king, but he does take power. There's so many mirrors here between. In that the uh, it seems quite a um, Georgian thing. You know, this father-son business. And the fact that they don't actually depose. They just get set up as a lieutenant, uh, a lieutenant, sorry. Oh. I can't agree what I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, and get set up as uh, a regent. Mm. And so he, the king was moved aside. Yeah, by law. Mm. It's, I mean, that's it's quite chunky, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Even though it's very little written there. Yeah. He's got illegitimate children and he does... I'm sort of quite annoyed by that. Because yeah. <laughs> he was so rubbish. I don't want him to, <laughs> to skew the results by having points for that. But yeah. it is chunky. Yeah. I'm surprised. Yeah, if you didn't know any of the rest of it, and that was the only thing I'd given you, and we did Scandal first, you'd think, eh. Yeah. And, it, and it's the, you, you've got to give it some points for how unique that is. Hmm. I mean, I mean it, it comes later. Yeah, you, it's you much know. less unique by the end of his own race. Yeah, but, <laughs> but for him... That, oh. I almost want to detract some points by the fact... His own reign, it happens to him as well. But I think that's more a subjectivity thing. Hmm. I want to give him a really reluctant four or five. Yeah. Four. I'm giving him a, 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 a four to... And it's, sorry, that was my pen lid. Uh, yeah, four. I mean, you can tell I'm not happy about it. You're not it. happy. But I think he does have to get some credit there. He mm. has actually somehow managed to tick a few boxes. I'm going to give him a five. So that's a nine for Scandal. Mm. Subjectivity. I mean, all the while that I'm giving these reluctant scores, <laughs> and he's clearly rubbish, I sort of like him. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He's resilient, yeah. uh, and he had a lovely description. Walter Bauer really does give him a lovely write-up. Mm. Wherever he went, moreover, he took with him humility as attendant of the virtues, that is, as his constant companion. This had made him so beloved by his men that all his subjects thought it agreeable to look on him, both for his gentle countenance and for the proof of his humility. Yeah, nice bloke. We have the lovely story of the coronation where apparently the local uh, chap that complained about the damage done to the crops, Robert's men wanted to 
punish him for his impertinence. But Robert inspects the damage and thinks, oh, poor chap, I'll give him some compensation. Yeah, he is George III. And Robert III's epitaph story is actually a bit like Canute and the Tide. It's mm. taken a little out of context. It's about him speaking to his wife, Annabella, and saying why he doesn't have any plans for a grand monument. So it's not about him being an abject misery. It's his humility. Um, so he says, You have spoken like a worldly woman. Let these men who strive in this world for the pleasures of honour have shining monuments. I need no such thing, dot da, da da bury me on a dunghill. OK, right, yeah, I see. One does wonder, though, whether Walter Barrow is just trying to, you know... Pick him up a touch. Generous, mm. and actually, maybe the epitaph bit rings rather more true than the yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, humility. However, however, uh, it was meant in humility <laughs> or otherwise. It is unfortunately incredibly accurate, mm. um, and I bet he would have lived to regret saying it. Yes, in front of Walter with his little dictaphone. Yeah, don't worry, don't worry. I'll keep it in context. <laughs> Strictly off the record. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and also, let's be honest, in 1384, he's not showing all that humility when he overthrows his father. True. Yeah, true. So I think, really, he's trying to say, oh, he was such a lovely man, he was too good a man to be a strong king. But a rubbish son. In reality, he was probably just a bad king who was quite ruthless and then was forced into... Now, there's also, this is a very, it's, it's a bizarre story in many levels, but it's also bizarre on the fact that Walter Bauer relates it as an example of good subjectivity. What? We've got a clash of clans. Oh, I've, give, I've deleted it. Yeah, of course. Uh, the Battle of the North Inch, on the 25th of September in 1396. Settle in. So, Murray, in the north of Scotland, suffered lots of disorder for a number of years, partly due to the wolf and all of his shenanigans, mm. but also the fact that but since the 1340s, really, they've not had a steady lordship settled. So it's been quite lawless for a while. And particularly, there's a very significant dispute between two, as Walter Bauer terms them, pestiferous clans. Right, full of annoyance. They're annoying to Chatton and Kay. I haven't heard of these before. Hmm. Uh, now, the nobles are unable to resolve it by negotiation, so they need some kind of solution. So... Robert III stages a battle between the two clans. <laughs> on, uh, on North Inch, which is a meadow on the banks of the Tay, 30 men from each clan would fight, without armour, but with swords, bows and arrows and axes, mm. to the death. Stands are erected for Robert and his court, and various nobles and dignitaries from England and France. Oh, my word. David acts as the umpire. David, his son? Yes. Right. And uh, according to Walter Bauer... This arrangement was highly acceptable to each side. Hang on, do you need an umpire? It's just last man standing, isn't it? I guess just to make sure that... It's all played by the rules. Yeah. Yeah. You killed that man with your left hand. Death <laughs> to you. Carry on. <laughs> However, there's a bit of a problem when they go to start the battle, because one of the elected warriors has a change of hearts and swims off down the Tay. Swims off? Because they're by the river, so he just goes for a swim and escapes. This is getting weirder and weirder. No one's able to catch him. So now you've got 30 against 29. Yeah. Now, the 29 don't really want to fight against 30, and they can't persuade anybody else in the clan to join join the force. And but I bet there was someone from the other side who'd said, oh, it's all right, I need a swim as well. Well, no, so no one on the other side, apparently, was willing to not fight and even up the numbers. They had a bit of an impasse. I bet that, that's, sort of, that's the question answered then, isn't it? That they're, they're braver, they win. Well, no, because they've got an advantage, which is hardly fair. Mm. 
Until, finally, a sturdy peasant volunteers. Sturdy indeed, yeah. Provided that should he survive, he'll be paid off for the rest of his life, and if he dies, prayers will be granted to him for, you know, however many years. I hope so. Robert agrees, and then the peasant starts the battle by shooting somebody with a bow and arrow. Brilliant. Okay. So, Walter Bauer relates what happens next. At once, arrows flew on either side. Men swung their axes, brandished their swords, and struggled with each other, like butchers killing cattle in a slaughterhouse. They massacred each other fearlessly. There was not one who, whether from frenzy or fear, or by turning aside from a chance to attack another in the back, sought to excuse himself from the slaughter. So who won? Well, ultimately, the Chatton are victorious. Eleven of them are left standing. Um, compared to, I think, just one from the Ks, who himself then goes off for a swim. Oh, uh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. And the peasant apparently survives. Does he? Yes. Oh, so presumably he was on the winning side then. Mm. Okay, so it's good that they did have the battle in the end. And Walter Bauer says, From then on, for a long time, the North remained quiet, and there was neither evil nor upset there as I before. I forgot we were doing uh, Robert III then. Like, that was yeah. a fascinating little story. And uh, we're doing subjectivity. So Walter Bauer says, this is great. They just basically had a gladiatorial contest and everyone was fine after that. <laughs> well, if it worked. I mean, obviously it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and indeed, that's not exactly the best form of justice. No. But perhaps it's about as good a form of justice as you're going to get under Robert III. There's a lot of bad stuff for Robert. Yeah, yeah. From 1388 to 1404, he is publicly declared incapable of governing the kingdom on four separate occasions. Mm. Nearly two-thirds of his reign saw power exercised by somebody else. Mm. And when he's governing, it seems to have gone it pretty goes, badly. Yeah. The only way that he was able to deal with Albany at all, with David emerging as a power, was because of Queen Annabella. Mm. He then ends up being overthrown by his own son... Mm. And then his son is killed by the uncle. Yeah, his, yeah, and his son was being set up as his yeah. protection. And then he tries to build up the power of his second son, James, but he just ends up getting captured by Henry IV when he was meant to be sent into safety in France. Mm. It's not really strong kingship that we're seeing here. I mean, it's absolutely zero, unless you've got anything good. It's... Uh, some of the coins start to be uh, debased in terms of the quality of the currency. Right. Level of rent start to slip a bit. There's a drop in the volume of overseas trade. Good. Right. Um, he doesn't really challenge the wolf in the north, as we saw. And uh, as such, as such, we get a lot of lawlessness. We got Elgin Cathedral being burnt down. We also had the men of the Isles, who are... Uh, you know, also causing problems in the north. So I'm not sure that really that that battle of the clans entirely solved. No, all of the problems. No, no. Though it's it's something. It's a it's a uh, it's a solution that's somewhat in vogue after the um, at Edinburgh they suggested it as well, didn't they? Yes, that's us. Yeah, yeah. Let's just have a fight. <laughs> Can someone? It's a it's the Middle Ages. Can someone not get killed, please? <laughs> Uh, according to the Chartularium Episcopatus Moraviensis, easy for you to say, in those days there was no law in Scotland, but the strong oppressed the weak, and the whole kingdom was one den of thieves. Homicides, robberies, fire-raisings, and other misdeeds remained unpunished, and justice seemed banished beyond the kingdom's bounds. That's about the worst review you can get for a subjectivity score. 
Yeah. He also gets quite a lot of bad reviews from Parliament. Mm. They keep legislating. So 1397, they talk about the great and horrible destructions, the burnings and slaughters that are so commonly done throughout the kingdom. So they try to take some action against trespassers and people doing lots of bad stuff. 1398, uh, they decide they need to repress transgressors more sternly than was formally ordained at the previous council. I.e., it didn't work. Yeah. And in 1399, when they overthrow Robert III, since it is well seen and known that our Lord the King, on account of the sickness of his person, may not exert himself to govern the realm, nor restrain trespassers and rebels, it is seen as most expedient by the council that the Duke of Rothsay by the king's le- be the king's lieutenant through the whole kingdom, having full power and commission of the king to govern the land in all ways as the king should do in his person if he were present. So completely slated for that as well. And just to make sure he's got the message. And that the king be obliged that he shall not hinder this office, nor the execution of it, by any countermandments, as sometimes has been seen. <laughs> right. So just don't even say a word. Yeah, they, they have got a high opinion of him. I reckon Ieth would have done better. <laughs> I think if we'd had more records other than just... I mean, you could probably reduce Robert III's reign to the yeah. uh, inadequacy of his reign, bequeathed nothing memorable to history. Yeah, absolutely. Although, well, apart from some pretty yeah, memorable yeah, things. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's zero. Do you have anything good? Just the fact that he organised a fight to the death. No, rubbish. It's zero. It's a big fat zero. This is really, really poor. Longevity. So he rules from the 19th of April, 1390, to the 4th of April, 1406. So we'll round that up to a full 16 years, which gives him a score of 10 out of 20. That's annoying, isn't it? Because he wasn't actually in charge. He wasn't for almost almost all of that. So if Six it, years of it, he was actually yeah, in charge. So he... Of 14? Of 16. Of 16. So he should have a score. But well, anyway. That's how we do it. Mm. Dynasty, not the program. I mean, obviously, they don't all survive him, mm. as we saw with David. Only one, isn't it? Well, he does have daughters. As well. Oh, yes. <laughs> I also have a daughter about whom I had similar feelings. <laughs> so he has four surviving children, which gives him a score of eight out of 20 for Dynasty. Oh, that's not too bad. So he ends up with a total score of 27. That's irritatingly high. Puts him in joint 17th. And how many have we done so far? Uh, out of 35. That is too good. Mm. That is far too good. <laughs> that is too good. <laughs> That's really frustrating. And all of his scores come from a dynasty that he didn't have. Ah, mm. Goodness me. But the score, of course, is meaningless when we come to consider the final factor. Does he have that certain something that... Lasting quality, that great achievement, that star quality we call... Rex Factor! Now, before you jump in, let me just make some arguments in his defence. I can't can't even imagine what you're going to say. Well. You got any thoughts? (laughs) (laughs) I wish... You could see uh, what our body language here, because usually when um, it, when Graham does that lead up to 
does he have that style quality that certain something that we call and then we he drops in the the <laughs> clip uh, but usually we both mime it and you know our hands go aloft and we go rags this time i was here my head was hung i couldn't even muster the the enthusiasm <laughs> no it's very clearly a no. I think we should perhaps return to Robert the Third for the conclusion and the verdict that we should remember for Robert the Third. The worst of kings and the most wretched of men in the whole kingdom. Yeah. Rubbish. So, that is it for Robert the Third. He really does not have the Rex Factor. Quite an interesting period of Scottish history. There's a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, certainly is. But really none of it Robert himself. I mean, I, I know he's 17th, but has there been a worse king? I, I, mean, I think he's got to be, certainly in the Scottish, well, I think even in the English as well, he's got to be under consideration. Ah, wow. Pretty abject. There we are. Anyway, let us know what you thought about Robert the Third. You can, of course, get in touch with us on our various social me- various social media. Uh, follow us on Twitter at RexFactorPod. Like us on Facebook and join in the discussions there. Email RexFactorPodcast at Auntmail dot com and go to RexFactor.wordpress.com, Read the blogs and complete the polls to say whether or not you think each king deserves the Rex Factor. I'd be so surprised if this king has <laughs> yeah. a single vote. I bet. Yeah, some people will now on the yeah, back of that. Yeah. He'll surge to victory. The greatest of kings. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a hashtag mate Robert great again. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on iTunes and subscribe. Yes, please. If you'd like to give us a bit of money, which would be very, very, very uh, lovely of you, you can do a one-off donation via PayPal. Or you can do crowdfunding. Uh, click the Be My Patron links on our websites. And uh, you get various rewards for doing so if you pay us every month. One dollar a month gets you a mention on the podcast. $2 a month, you get a comment read out. $5 a month, you get access, free access to our special episodes that usually cost $2. $10 a month, you get a special Privy Councillor mug. $15 a month, you get to commission a blog on the subject of your choice. And $25 a month, you get to commission a special episode on the subject of your choice. So we will do a special podcast episode on whatever you want us to do. And everybody at all levels gets free access to our bonus Privy Chamber podcast, which we do after each of these yeah. recordings. A bit of behind-the-scenes, laid-back chat. And it's called the Privy Chamber because you, by supporting us, will become a Privy Councillor. Mm. And a very exalted status of which you should be proud. We welcome some new Privy Councillors. Kegcom, Lawrence Witty, Anne Gellers, or Jellers. Robin Yon, or Y1. Is Are you a, making these up? <laughs> we don't. I'm sorry, Hallie, we don't have any at all. <laughs> oh, dear. Kelsey Langford, Really Kareen, SK Pross One, Leah Earl, Danny McCarthy, Randy0307. <laughs> no, Graham, you could just do it with John Smith if you're making these up. B Day J. Sharky333, Jack Adamson, David Nolan, Kate Doak, Kelly Duggan, and JWA Arnold. Thank you very much. I did recognise. Uh, I did recognise Leah Earl. She's very active on Facebook. Mm. And uh, David Nolan was the one who very early on uh, coined us as being a cross between In Our Time and Steve Wright in the Afternoon. Oh yeah, <laughs> that was ages ago. It was, yeah. yeah. 
Um, and now, if you're inspired by Rex Factor and you'd like to do your own podcast, mm. as some people have done, as we've seen with uh, Saga Thing and Totala's Rankium, we know there are a couple of others in the pipeline that have been in touch with us. Um, if you choose to do so via Podbean, yeah. that hosts Rex Factor, um, then it would be very helpful if you could uh, go do that via a little link by which we get an affiliate bonus. Oh, yeah. So if yeah. you go to podbean.com forward slash Rex Factor, all one word, mm. we get a little bonus, and I think you get first month uh, free. And we can't recommend Podbean enough. They've been very helpful and uh, in touch when we've had problems. And... Yeah, so solving lots of things. Very yeah. uh, good response to feedback. So... Some messages. Yes, please. First up, Laura Duggan. Okay. Hi. Hello. My husband Oliver wrote to you recently to ask if you could say hi on the podcast to cheer me up during my maternity leave. (laughs) I'm going through the same thing. (laughs) Thanks for doing that, as it was such a cool surprise for me. I'm really pleased to let you know that Edward Albert arrived safely a few weeks ago. Excellent words for the human. (laughs) (laughs) And she says, yes, after Edward I, although I must admit a soft spot for the third as well. Yeah, fair enough. And no, not after that, Albert. Oh. Hope Ali came up with a suitably Rexy name too. Uh, Well, now... Which we did reveal uh, last We did, but... um, If you changed it. (laughs) No. But Albert is um, a nickname for me. Yes, that's what my family tend to call me. Yeah. So um, I'm. I think that's an excellent name. If I didn't have the surname Hood, <laughs> that was genuinely going to be our son's name. Yeah. Because right. Edward Hood is a bit of a mouthful, as we discussed. Um, here's a message from Mary Kate who uh, posted on WordPress about defenestration. Oh, the old window body out of trick exactly now she's not sure it's been mentioned uh, since i just started listening to you guys but in um she says william rufus's podcast was actually henry the first podcast you mentioned conan's defenestration and that the word defenestration sounded familiar the most notable defenestration happened in 1618 in prague which marks the starting phases of the 30 years war right so this is the defenestration of uh, prague there's a conflict between Protestants and Catholics, and apparently the Catholic regents were thrown out of a third-floor window. Did they um, die? Well, no, apparently, despite it being 70-foot fall, they survived. I was joking! <laughs> what are they? Well, they're made of rubber. <laughs> Goodness me. Where was that? Poland? Prague. Prague. Mm. I suppose it didn't exist then, did it? Mm. Uh, no, there's no pun for bouncy people from <laughs> Prague. Just a nice alliteration. <laughs> Uh, here's an email from Hannah Fritchner on Elizabeth I. Hi, Rexmen. Hello. Recently I was re-listening to the original English series and I noticed that in the playoffs you come down on Elizabeth I for not having any children and being the end of the Tudor line. That's, that was fair enough, wasn't it? This is unfair, however, oh. as any children she had would have taken the name of their father as was practised until fairly recently. The Tudor line would have ended with her either way. That is a good point hmm. that is a good point though i think we'd have you know seen that uh the tudor genes yeah we would have carried on it was a very very abrupt full stop there it was but still very good point yeah good point yeah and some uh, little messages from privy councillors uh-huh first of all we've got actually a bit of an audio have we participation this is new Uh, 
Hey, hey, it's Rex Factor. It's medieval Rex Factor that's theme tune. That's fabulous. Uh, that's done by uh, Privy Councillor Gareth uh, Brock. That's so good. Thank you very much really for that, please. Uh, Gareth. Um, if you, uh, he's a musician, is uh, Gareth, so if you want to check him out, go to www.gareth, spelt with two R's, and then Brock, spelt B-R-O-K-E, as in broke, piano.com. So garethbrookpiano.com. Gareth with two T's. Two R's. Oh, that's confusing. Right. <laughs> exactly. That'll help you remember it. Yes, thank you very much for that, Gareth. That was brilliant. Brilliant. Um, here's a message from uh, Danny McCarthy, which is dedicated to my Norman friend, Matthew Turner. Mm-hmm. Thanks again for all the hard work you two put in with the podcast. It is one of, if not the best podcast out there. Ooh, thank if you. If you agree with Danny, why <laughs> not vote for us in the British Podcasting Awards? Oh, yes. Nominate us as a uh, listener's award. That would be great. Thingamabob. Yeah, I completely forgot about anyway, that. Anyway, um, that's open until April 28th, 2017. Uh, he didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> it has taught me so much about English history, and I was fascinated by the Saxon kings who I knew nothing about. Interesting to see that the English kings and queens are more French, Welsh, Scottish, Dutch and German than they are English. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what makes an English person, really, isn't it? Yeah, and of course the Saxons, the English originally are mm. from Germany, so uh, what comes around? <laughs> And then Sharky333. Love the show and seem to have adopted several of Ali's phrases. Crikey and a good egg being two of them. They are solid. You can't go far wrong with those. Could take or leave Edgar the Peaceable Rex decision. I mean, this guy's getting better and better. But definitely thought Harold Godwinson and Richard III should have taken it. Right, well. One defeat does not preclude that certain something, particularly in such epic circumstances. Mm. Yeah. I think we were kind of we would have liked to have given it to Harold the Second. I really would have liked to have given it to him, but, but I think because we would have liked him to have won the battle. Yeah, I mean, he it's like uh, a sort of now I'm not comparing um, <laughs> uh, uh, William the Conqueror to the fascist evil of Hitler. I mean, there is a book by historian Peter Rex which is pretty much exactly. Oh, that. really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I am comparing the English resistance. Yeah, but it's like if um, Harold II were Churchill, mm. but Churchill lost, I, I would have thought, good egg, uh, yeah. but, you he know, lost. did lose. Mm. But I probably, uh, well, I would not have, I hasten to add, I wouldn't have given Hitler the Rex Factor, which we did to uh, Conqueror. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Robert III, abject as he was. Mm. Um, it's not been a great time for the Scots with David II, Robert II and Robert III. It's been very, very poor. And it's yet again, it's going to be rather uncertain with the heir to the throne in an English prison and Albany still at large in Scotland. So who is the king? We'll have to tune in to find out. Find out next time. But until then, it's goodbye from me. Cheerio! This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. 
They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta. Because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. 